I um, imagine if you go home or when you go home tonight, you, there'll be a tree there and probably a lot of gifts under the tree and uh, probably directly proportional to our height, at least to a point, is gonna be the excitement about what is under the tree. Gifts are obviously a huge part of Christmas and I hope you get everything you were hoping to get this year. That would be my hope for you. Um, Realistically, most of the gifts we get, we will enjoy and they will be gone soon enough. There are a few gifts that maybe you get that will be life-changing. I was thinking back on a few gifts that I got that I feel like changed my life. Uh, you know, if you've been here a long time, you've probably heard some of the gifts that I got, like the, the royal blue velvet blazer I got when I was about 19 or 20. It's like, yeah, that changed my life because I was cool. They're back in style, except I'm told they're not in style for me. I'm not sure what that's all about, but um, I also, when I was a little kid, got a little tiny telescope, and it was just a toy telescope, and yet it really changed everything. Um, The reason this is on my mind is because uh, just a couple of days ago, we were out celebrating my sister's birthday, and the gift that changed my life one Christmas was a baby sister. And in fact, I told my parents one day, because I'm a number of years older than both my sister and brother, that I was praying and God was going to give me a baby sister for Christmas and a baby brother for my birthday. And uh, my sister was born on December 22nd, and my brother was born four days after my birthday. So there, you do sometimes get what you want. And uh, my sister reminded me of this story as we were talking, and I'd forgotten this part, but actually, now that was years ago, and... um, it, being able to, to confidently identify the gender of the child before it's born was less precise. And so the doctors were telling my mom she was going to have a boy. And I'm like, no, it's going to be a baby sister. And I was right. So that changed my life a lot. I hope you have gifts that will have some enduring impact. Um, Christmas has a lot of things that we hope for. This year, one of the things that struck me in the news was that uh, Brenda Lee uh, ousted, um, what's her name, Mariah Carey as the number one song. In fact, when, when uh, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree just took over and uh, All I Want for Christmas is You went to number two after years and years as number one, she said, take that, Mariah Carey. And, and they, you know, they've developed a friendship and Mariah showed up and gave her flowers and it's this big thing. Right, And I was thinking about all the different songs that describe what people want for Christmas. Mariah Carey says, I don't want that much for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. And then it goes on to say, all I want for Christmas is you. Back in the day, uh, Spike Jones says, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Um, Eartha Kitt, you remember her? She actually was uh, Catwoman on the old Batman TV show, as well as a pop star. And... Uh, she was the one thing saying, Santa baby. She wanted a lot of stuff. In there, she asked for uh, the, um, the deed to a platinum mine. That's one of the things she wanted for Christmas. Um, and then, of course, there's Gayla Peavy, who wanted a hippopotamus for Christmas. That's kind of tough to deal with, but she wanted one of those. Alvin Chipmunk just wanted a hula hoop. Um, and then there's the song, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? And, and I know it's a little bit dated, but um, hop along boots and a pistol that shoots is the wish of Barney and Ben. Dolls that will talk and go for a walk is the hope of Janice and Jen. And this part may be not so dated. And mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. There's different things people want for Christmas. Um, 
Bing Crosby was dreaming of a white Christmas, Perry Como wanted to be home for the holidays, and I don't know how many carolers have said, bring us a figgy pudding or we're not leaving. How many carolers actually got a figgy pudding? How many carolers even know what a figgy pudding is? I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure I don't want one. But there's all these things that we put into song that kind of become um, part of our culture, and I was thinking about how so much stuff gets layered onto the real significance of Christmas. And those are good things, right? The platinum mine may be a little excessive, but you know, figgy pudding may not be all that exciting. But all these things are things that we want and they're good and, and there's so many traditions that we add to Christmas that are good. But over time, it's easy to lose track of what Christmas is really about. Even the way we tell the biblical story sometimes picks up um, just our traditions as opposed to the scripture. And in the process, it's easier to focus on the narrative that we've kind of spun rather than the significance of the story itself. So I thought I would uh, start by having a brief video talking about the Christmas story from scripture and how we hear it and how it actually is, and then I'll share some more thoughts. One December night, over 2,000 years ago, a shining star illuminated a gathering of kings, shepherds, angels, and animals round a baby in a stable. T'was the nativity, and it marked the end of a journey that began on a donkey's back. Whoa, hold up there, Jeeves. Yeah, I beg your pardon? Your nativity. That's not exactly how it happened. Here, look, let's start with that donkey. Neither of the gospel stories mentions Mary traveling by donkey. And given the 60 miles of rough terrain they traveled, it's more likely they used a wagon. <laughs> Minor details. But then the innkeeper informs them there's no room... Again, the Bible doesn't actually mention an innkeeper. And in the Greek, the word inn refers to an upper room in a house, not an actual motel. Oh, blast. Look, wherever it was, there was no room. So, Mary and Joseph were sent to the stable. Uh, no stable. <sighs> Not in the Bible either. Now you're catching on. And in those days, most animals were typically kept in a cave. A cave? Yuppers. So, it could have been that instead of a stable, the Bible doesn't really say. And the Star of Bethlehem? Duh, that's biblical. Well, we're actually right for once. It's a Christmas miracle. Okay, so now came the shepherds and the three kings. No kings. Three kings is from the song. The Bible says magi, which means wise men. Three wise men? That works. Well, not so fast. While the Bible does mention three gifts, it doesn't specify the number of wise men that brought them. You mean there could have been more? Oh, yeah. A whole posse, even. With a crowd like that, it's a miracle the baby Jesus never cried. What, no crying he makes? That's just a lyric from Away in a Manger, not actual scripture. <laughs> well, of course he was crying. You just added a whole crowd of strange men. Eh, yes and no. There may have been many wise men, but they weren't there that night. You see? Okay, that's enough. Except for the blooming star of Bethlehem, you've just dismantled the most inspiring image of Christian tradition. So what's your point? Point? Well, I guess it's this. Even when all of the man-made traditions are stripped away, the eternal truths still remain. Whether they traveled by donkey or wagon, 
God brought them safely to the birthplace that was prophesied. Whether born in a stable or a cave, God provided shelter in a strange new land. Whether there were three kings, three wise men, or many, God called the elect to bear witness and testimony to the birth of Emmanuel. So whether your manger looks like this, or like this, the one thing that remains unchanged is this. A baby boy, born of a virgin, this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Bless you, sir. I'll never look at the miracle of December 25th the same way again. December 25th? Oh, I almost forgot. Stop that. Music! So there's a lot of traditions, and some of them may be right and some of them may not. And at the end of the day, the things that you do to celebrate, those are wonderful family traditions. But tonight, for just a few minutes, we want to make sure that we get underneath that and get back to just the basic biblical story for just a couple of minutes. Um, the Brovers read Luke 2, which is one of the major narratives about the birth of Jesus. And I want to point out a couple of verses for us to think about as then we go on into the rest of our evening and celebrate with whatever traditions we have. Let's remember the key point about Jesus. And um, the, I want to read a couple of verses that the angel speaks um, when he is speaking to the shepherds. The angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And I think that's a really critical thing to remember. This is good news of great joy, and it's for everyone. Embedded in the, in the story of the text, there's a lot of different kinds of people, right? There's, there's the people that have been faithful and waiting for God to work, and sometimes it seems like God is so slow, and sometimes we grow weary or frustrated because we want God to act the way we want him to act when we want him to act, and we forget that he's God, but he is always acting. And so there's Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah who start the story off who are faithful but old and they've been waiting for Jesus to be born and then the story in Luke finishes with two people in the temple an elderly man and an elderly woman not, not related but there's Anna who's this um, widow who's been faithfully looking for and praying and, and, and just waiting upon God to finish his promise. And then Simeon, who shows up at the temple at the work of the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies about Jesus in that moment. And, and it's good news for people like that, people who've been looking for, people who've been faithful to, people who have at least tried to, by God's grace, keep him at the center of their lives. Right? There's the shepherds, and we don't know what their spiritual state was we don't know with confidence a lot of things, but we can guess because of how shepherds were. These are just common people. They were kind of in the bottom rungs of the society, often looked at with a bit of suspicion. They're just trying to make a living. And what they're doing is hard. They're away from their families. They're out in the fields. They've got to face the elements. They've got to face wild animals. They've got to lose sleep. It's hard work, and yet... They're doing it because you have to make a living. Somehow we gotta put food on the table, somehow we have to meet our obligations. And just day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, there's that focus. Well, there's a lot of people 
who are just trying to get through life. And it's good news for them. It's good news for them. There's Mary and Joseph, who are a young couple that are engaged when God just literally turns their world upside down. Their engagement period was actually really, really hard. For a while, Joseph thought the unthinkable had happened and was ready to call it off until God spoke and said, no, the unimaginable has happened and now you need to stand by her and together you're gonna do something extraordinary. You're gonna raise the son of God, but it's gonna be really hard. Mouths are going to run and heads are going to wag and fingers are going to shake and you will have rumors that follow you well into the adulthood of the child himself. At a time when, really, we just look for a bright and beautiful future, hope, right? They're, they're engaged, they're about to get married. Their first apartment together very well may have been filled with animals. And their real honeymoon, because, because Jesus is born of the Spirit of God, Joseph and Mary did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. Their real honeymoon may have taken place in Egypt as they're running for their lives not what you would look for, it was hard. And yet, Jesus' coming was good news. Extraordinary news, good news for them. And he's good news for us too, good news for people at the highest ranks, the, the magi who did come later. Um, they came because they were looking for something. And what they fully understood is not clear, but they understood that God was at work and they actually, in some form, brought worship, brought honor, and they brought gifts that probably allowed Mary and Joseph to survive for those years on the run, right? There's all these different characters, and it's good news that Jesus has come. And that's what the angel is announcing. It's for everyone. And the good news is two things. One, there's a savior who's been born, Christ the Lord, the one who's been promised, the one that we need. We need rescue. They understood that in a lot of different ways. The faithful followers of God at that time grieved over the fact that their nation, which was supposed to be God's nation, was anything but. And they were under the oppression of a foreign power. And they weren't experiencing any of the things that they would have experienced if they were actually faithful to God. And they're grieving and they're brokenhearted over that. They needed a savior. And they knew the problems were deeper than just political. That's what everyone was looking for. That's why Jesus, as he announced his presence, was so often misunderstood because people were looking for simple political power solutions and even his own people were sometimes confused. But those who really understood knew that there was a deeper issue. We need a savior. The problems in our lives, the problems in our world, they're not gonna just go away. But the biggest need we have is internal because the biggest problem we have ultimately is us. And so it's good news that God sends his son to be the savior, the one he promised from of old, Christ, the Lord. That's part of the good news. The other part of the good news is as the angels are speaking, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. God offers Peace. Not simply life's not constant struggle, but a deep 
wholeness and wholesomeness, a deep rightness, peace in God's vocabulary is much more than just things aren't in conflict. It's things are right, things are as they should be. And that's what Jesus came to offer, peace. But it ends by saying this, in the more traditional versions that we probably grew up with, um, it says, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's more likely, as translated, was read earlier, peace on earth among those with whom he's pleased. The peace of God is something for certain people, those with whom he's pleased. Right In the story of the Bible, there's at least one person who doesn't experience any measure of peace, Herod the king, a wicked man who holds himself up, opposed to God, and who dies a horrible death, and who takes a lot of people with him. He has no peace. Right? It's not saying God is just going to overlook everything. It's, it's saying God is going to bring his peace for those with whom he's pleased. So how does he become pleased with us is the question. And that's a question that it's easy to answer wrong. It's not an invitation for me to try to do all kinds of good things. The scripture is very clear that peace or the, the, to please God is to be a person of faith. Right? It says in, in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith at two levels. And, and this is where the Christmas story really becomes a changing thing, a life-changing thing. The thing that will affect us from this moment forward is as we respond to the Savior who was born so long ago, who grew up and lived a life showing us God and then offered himself in exchange for us in his death on the cross and then was resurrected, conquering death and offering life and returned to heaven saying, I will send my spirit, I will come back one day and fix everything, but in the meantime, I will be with you. That savior is the one who gives peace to those who trust him, to those who trust him. And so that's really what I want to just pull us back to amidst everything else. Where's my heart with God? Is he the one that I'm trusting in? In John chapter one, it says that Jesus came into the world, he came to his own people, and his own people didn't even accept him. But to all who did accept him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. The first trust point is for me to see Jesus for who he really is and surrender. Jesus is God coming to this world. He is the savior that I need. And the people who recognize that were transformed. It wasn't people who had their acts together. It was people who were honest and said, I, I don't have my act together. I can never get my act together. My act is a mess. Sometimes it looks pretty good on the outside. Sometimes it doesn't. But on the inside, I know I don't have this thing figured out. I never will. I mess up so much. I frustrate myself. And it's not just that I make mistakes. There are things in me that are just plain wrong, that are just plain contrary to what is right, sin. And those who came to the place where they would surrender and trust and say, I need a savior, you be God, I'll just be yours. 
Those are the ones who he gave the power to become the children of God. That's the first trust. And so the first question I would have is that this good news for all people, at least for those with whom God is pleased, is is God pleased with you? Pleased with you doesn't have to do with your behavior. It has to do with your heart position. Have you trusted him? And if you haven't, the room is filled with people who would love to talk and, and share how God has transformed and is transforming them. I would be, be more than happy to talk to you, but you're probably sitting there a family member or friend who would love to talk to you. If you're a guest and you just came here, we would love to talk to you. you we're not gonna you know, take over your Christmas Eve, but you can reach out and talk to us at any point and start a conversation and let's explore what it would look like for you to actually have a transforming relationship with God because, not because you've started behaving differently, but because your heart's in a different place and you have learned what it is to surrender and trust. That's where the good news begins to change lives. And then the Hebrews 11 verse that I quoted, without faith it's impossible to please God, is actually targeted for the followers of God, saying, how's my daily life? This is a time when we have all these fun and wonderful and beautiful things, and they are that. But it's also a time to just strip that away for a moment and get to the basics. A baby born in a manger to change the world by changing me. Is he still changing me? Am I still responsive to him? Is my heart open and supple in his hands? Is he still actually acting as God in my life or have I kind of pulled away and said, no, I'm gonna run things for a while. Where are you in your trust with God? Because it is heart surrendered and trusting that is what God is looking for. That's what pleases him. And those that are pleased, those that please God with that heart, those are the one for whom Christmas is that transformative good news. So my question would be really simple. Where's your trust? If you have questions, you want to start a conversation, please reach out. We would love to talk to you. If you're part of God's family, you're part of this family, and God touches something, you want to have more conversation, reach out. We'd love to talk to you. If you don't know where you stand with God, you're not part of this family regularly, but something's going on inside, we'd love to talk to you. You can reach out on the, on the internet. You can reach out by phone, whatever. We'd just love to have a chance to dialogue more. Because the fact that Jesus entered this world so long ago is the good news that changes everything. Mariah Carey may say, all I want for Christmas is you. Great. But all she needs for Christmas is Jesus. And that's all I need for Christmas either. That's all you need for Christmas. The other stuff is nice. But Jesus is the thing that changes everything. I like to pray. Our our, um, ushers are going to come. We're going to take an offering for those of you that have brought um, an offering you want to give. And I just want to invite you to just take a moment in your heart and let God speak to you. And ask him, God, where's my heart with you? Am I in a position of trust? Am I in a position of surrender? Have I allowed things to clutter and get in the way? Have I taken control? Lord, would you speak to me and use this moment to do a transforming work in me? 
Father, I do thank you for sending your son to be the savior of the world. I thank you that this story that we've told and retold and retold is true. And all of the details that get added on, Lord, some of them are crazy and some of them are beautiful, but at the heart, the reality is really simple. You have come to be our savior. I pray that that would be the prevailing point of our Christmas. And as we celebrate and give gifts and feast and whatever else we do in our traditions, I pray that there would be this center theme that just underpins everything. It's all because of you. It's all because of your grace and giving your son for us. May we worship and celebrate him most of all. Lord, I pray for these gifts that are given. I pray that you would use them to further the worship of Jesus in this world and to bless people in his name. And it's in his name we pray, amen.